Hello, and welcome to the NCA podcast. Today's podcast is called The Invisible Backpack, and our guests today are Frenzy, a platinum-level corporate partner with NCEA. I am very excited to welcome our guests, Julie Widman, co-founder of Frenzy, and Whitney Stovall, uh, partnership specialist for Catholic schools. Welcome, both of you. Ah, thanks, Jessica. So thank you guys for being on here. Really excited to have you both. But let's go ahead and start by having you both tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, so Julie, if you don't mind starting, how did, you know, what's your background and how did you end up co-founding Frenzy? Oh, well, it is such a fun story because stories that come from your heart and just a call it just are one of those stories that feel really exciting to share. And so really in 2014, Joy Roberts and I, my co-founder and I, really just were recognizing this disconnect. Um, students showing up to school without the skills they need to navigate the social landscape. And at the time, Joy and I were we're um, writing and teaching Bible studies in our in our church, and we said, you know, we can actually teach the next generation of students how to live out God's call to love Him and love others. Um, we can teach them God's design for relationship and community. And so with that idea, we launched a citywide program here in the Northwest, and we thought there would be, you know, 10 to 12 families show up. And over the course of a very intense six weeks, we had about 150 to 200 families come through at um, one of our local churches here. And through that, those kiddos went back to their places and spaces, different schools across the Portland metro area. And we got a phone call from our local Catholic school, who is Lady of the Lake here in Lake Oswego. And the vice principal said, you know, we are outsourcing for this type of teaching, this type of support. And we have kids now on our playground telling other students, hey, we're better together, or we need each other, or let's watch our words, or um, you first. <laughs> they were repeating the frenzy catchphrases that they had learned at our local citywide program. And uh she just said, you know, how can we partner to bring this to our whole school? And so that was actually, you know, now what feels like a decade ago almost. And through really working side by side, Our Lady of the Lake and beta testing it up and down Oregon, Washington, California with different schools, um, we really, really learned what schools need, what teachers are facing. I mean, it is hard to uh, teach these skills, and yet they're so needed. Um, it, and it's hard to weave it into your school day. And so really, that is where Frenzy was birthed. And it was by the encouragement of Lake Lady of the Lake to, you know, let's spread this to Catholic schools. We need this faith uh, scripture-based teaching in our schools. And so that's kind of where it all started. And now we have a fantastic team of educators, Whitney being one of them. Um, and we just, we get to do really exciting, good work with schools. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And Whitney, um, can you share a little bit about your background and how you became a part of the Frenzy team? 
Sure. So my background is in Catholic education. So I'm a national certified counselor and I've served as a school counselor for preschool through eighth grade um, for 10 years. I worked in the Diocese of Memphis for four um, at part of the at the Jubilee School Network. And then I worked at an independent Catholic school in Nashville with Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia. And I'll say as a counselor, I had the amazing opportunity to push into classrooms. Most in both schools, it was about once a month teaching, you know, social emotional skills. And I would piece together my own lessons year after year, trying to find programs that felt in alignment with our Catholic teachings. And I just every year kind of kept coming up short. And so I kind of would create my own as I've talked with many counselors in the same boat. So I think it was about last Last fall, fall of 2021, my husband accepted a new job, which then um, had us move from Nashville down to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so with that, I knew I needed to be looking um, for something new for myself in terms of you know, a counseling role, but then also really wanted to continue to find something to leave behind with my school. And so I came across Frenzy when I was still sitting in my school counselor seat, met with a member of our team who's now a good friend of mine. And was able to leave Frenzy with my school in Nashville. And then I feel like it was like within the same week, I saw that Frenzy was hiring for Catholic school partnership specialists. And I thought, well, let's give this a try. And so almost a year now has been such an amazing opportunity for me um, to use that 10 years of, of counseling experience in Catholic schools to now partner with Catholic schools all over. Um, so yeah, so it's been a really exciting transition for me. I think what's a beautiful thing to have Whitney on our team is that she just brings this unique perspective of the Catholic school counselor. She really understands um, schools that are lucky enough to have a counselor in them, but then also she really understands the heartbeat of schools who want to support their students with that counseling posture that don't actually have the ability to have a counselor. And so we lean on Whitney so much within Frenzy to provide that perspective, that posture, that support. And um, we actually just got to be down together last week at the Diocese of Orange. We were um, with all 700 of their teachers and principals doing a professional development. And what I love about Whitney is she said to every single person she meets, she said, oh, well, if you need support, you call me. I will walk you through. Like, I'll be your counselor. I can do that for you. And so um, I, I appreciate Whitney your heart so much to support our Catholic schools. Um, I feel like because you've been in those shoes, you just hear and feel their heart um, with such a deep richness. And so I love partnering with, with Whitney on all of these things. So we were excited to do this podcast together. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. It is. And I, I, I hear you both and I miss the classroom in certain aspects, but this is one of those things where your support and what Frenzy does in the classroom is so needed um, across all of our Catholic schools. Uh, you know, I was a preschool director for a little while and I was piecing together, you know, just different yeah. things to try and teach scripture yeah. and try and teach social emotional learning. And, you know, even as a second grade teacher, there just wasn't enough resources out there at the time when I was doing it. So and having this preschool, it's like your bread and butter, right? Yeah. It is, it is, you know, and, and actually in Whitney and I had the pleasure of working with the Diocese of Patterson in New Jersey, yeah. and they really recognized, um, even before the research was out that preschool and early education 
that's where all the COVID babies are showing up right now. And it is a real struggle for those preschoolers. And so Frenzy actually just recently pushed down and has an entire um, early ed program now to integrate scripture and teach these skills because our littlest of littles are showing up without the skills they need. And I know we're going to talk about the invisible backpack and what that means and, and really launch into this conversation about neurology. So if you're in your car right now or on a walk, you know, buckle up, here we go. But um, we see this, this from, you know, birth until tomb, womb to tomb, right? Our, our bodies are, are developing and changing. And so we just have this capacity as educators to, to meet students where they're at. And really that's what you're saying, Jessica, is that you used to have to try to pull things together to meet them where they're at. And that's what Whitney experienced. And our desire at Frenzy is just to support schools to to provide a framework so that they don't have to do the heavy lift um, and that we can fan the flame that's already shining really bright in our Catholic school spaces. Great. Thank you. And thank you for that. That was such a great introduction into our topic, which is the invisible backpack. Um, so let's get started with that. What what do you at Frenzy term as the invisible backpack? What is it? Can you describe it for our listeners and for me? Yeah, I think I, I have actually no idea where the concept of invisible backpack um, came from. It's certainly not, it's not something I thought up, um, but it is some, a, kind of an analogy or a symbol that we talk about at Frenzy and talk about with educators. And really what the invisible backpack is, is this idea that students walk through, they walk, they cross the threshold of classrooms every day and they carry backpacks. And in those backpacks, we know that they pack their lunches and their binders and books and, and pencils. And, and we expect those things to be unloaded in the classrooms. But our students also carry invisible things in that backpack. They have invisible backpacks that they are carrying. And, and some students have heavier invisible backpacks than others. And when we talk about the invisible backpack, what we're really meaning is what are all the things that they have experienced outside of the classroom hours? You know, what what do they go home to at 3 p.m.? What did they experience from 6.30 until 7.45 or 8.15 when they walk into the classroom? What are the hurts, the pain, the sadness, the struggles, the stress that those students are carrying? And oftentimes those are the invisible things that are heavier than the books and the binders and the pencils. And those invisible things are really important because they actually become barriers to education. They, they block often the ability for students to focus. They block the ability for students to um, feel calm and, and happy in the classroom. Um, and actually those invisible things can activate and aggravate emotional responses that have nothing to do with math facts or reading, and yet our teachers are seeing it. And so when we talk about the invisible backpack, it's really important to always think about that as educators because our goal is to create environments where academics can happen, where kids can flourish, where we are treating, seeing, loving, caring, knowing the whole child that walks through the doors. And so in order to do that, we actually have to understand that they're carrying more than books and pencils in. And, and we can do that by looking neurologically at what they're showing up with um, and then learning how to respond to the way that they are act, 
connecting. Whitney, anything else that kind of comes to mind when we think about the invisible backpack? Yeah, you know, when I think back to when I was in graduate school, we talked a lot about how as caring educators in the counseling space, we could imagine the same idea where if our students are carrying, you know, those kinds of traumas or things you're talking about, Julie, we can help to lift a strap for them in our support for them. And so that was an analogy that we used a lot in my counseling program where we're not taking the whole load from them. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can walk alongside our students and because we know those students who feel stressed, worried, lonely, sad, hurt are not able to learn at their fullest potential. And so if we can help carry some of that burden with them, um, we're going to help them be able to better succeed. And so that's really the heartbeat of what I think this conversation's about. Yeah, well, this offering to hold a strap could really provide some some help for a student. And it actually immediately tells that student who feels unseen or unnoticed, I see you. Um, And and really what we don't want to do in this conversation is tell the educator, you've got one more big responsibility to do, right? We we don't want to um, suggest that they have to fix the problem. But walking alongside of someone is just this beautiful picture of what we're called to do as believers. We are called to carry and um, the load or, or walk along the burden of others. And, and really um, what we know about students with high trauma, high ACE scores, adverse childhood experiences is that it only takes one caring adult in the life of a student with a high ACE score to change and affect the trajectory of that student's life. And so if you think about it, those ACE scores, those students with high emotional, psychological, or physical trauma, those students actually just need one adult, one caring adult to say, I see you, I care about you, you matter, Um, you belong here in our school. And that has a profound found effect. And and normally when we talk to educators, these are not big things that they do to carry a strap. They're just small um, things that they do to carry that strap or walk alongside. Thanks, Whitney, for pointing that out. I appreciate it. Well, and I I really appreciate you both talking about that because I think so much as educators, we try to go in thinking we have to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. And when it's when you take on the mindset of you're not going to be able to do that, but helping in by doing these little things and taking that lifting that one strap for the student is really impactful for educators. Yeah. And Jessica, one thing that is really important to remember is that educators' stress is real too. They have also experienced stress and trauma of, I mean, how often do we say unprecedented in the last three years, right? Like unprecedented levels and like too much. There was a point where I said, I don't want to hear that anymore, you know? Um, But the reality is, is that even prior to 2020, um, teachers were in the most stressful job next to ER nurses. And so here we have this this, um, Petri dish of life in our classrooms and we have kids showing up with stress and trauma and then we have 
teachers who at Yale study, they actually asked teachers in 2020, what are, what are five words that you would use to describe your educational experience right now? And 5,000 teachers answered anxious, fearful, worried, sad. And so we have this, this um, storm of emotions, right, in our, in our academics and in our classrooms of students showing up with extra stress, low ability, they, they miss some some teaching and some social experiences that have created some um, unique environments. And then we have teachers who are feeling worn out, weary, and stressed as well. And so what we can do by understanding neurological symptoms is that we can actually say, okay, teachers, you're stressed and worried, but how you react, how you respond matters. And you can actually co-regulate, you can create calm, you can create support in a classroom so that at the end of the day, your uh, approach matters and then you're going to do better if you approach it in a way that is positive. Um, and that's the why behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into that just a little bit more. So how would you define stress uh, grief and trauma, and and what symptoms may we notice in a student who are experiencing the trauma? Yeah, so I think it's important for us to kind of understand these definitions as we have this conversation. So when we think about trauma, trauma is an event. So it, it's the event that might cause psychological, physical, emotional, or mental harm. So it might be a death of a loved one. It might be abuse. Um, when we think of a trauma, it's something where there's a loss that's occurred. So if it's a, someone dies, it's that loss of that person. If it's an abuse, it might be that loss of trust, right? And so it's going to be that event. But the result of that traumatic event is what we call grief. So grief is that normal, it's that natural response. It's those emotions that come when you've experienced that trauma. Um, it's really the feeling that we wish things might have ended differently, right? And so it's normal. It's normal to experience that feeling of grief. Um, as we have this conversation, I think it's important to also acknowledge stress, um, especially chronic stress. And so when we talk about these symptoms, um, we might see we might not necessarily see trauma and grief every day in our classrooms, we hope, but we might see chronic stress show up a lot. And so those symptoms might look pretty similar. And so when we think about how do we respond, um, this is going to be helpful, hopefully, information when people are experiencing trauma, grief, or stress. And so when we think about those symptoms, we might see emotional and psychological symptoms like shock or denial, disbelief of what happened. Um, these students, or even us, if this is our situation, we might have difficulty concentrating on the tasks that we're asked to do. Um, we might see a lot more irritability or mood swings, even anger outbursts, right? And I think, Julie, you hit on this earlier that it's not when these things are happening, it's not that connection to, you know, I'm not making this moral decision to act in these irritable, angry ways. I've experienced something that's really challenging. And so this just might be what shows up. Mm -hmm. um, you might see those students withdrawing a little bit more. Um, they might feel sad, express hopelessness. And so it's really important for us to notice those symptoms. So then as we dig into how can we respond, um, hopefully give some helpful tools. Um, when we think about physical symptoms, you might see these students are having difficulty sleeping, um, falling or staying asleep. Maybe frequent nightmares might come up. Um, they might express fatigue or feeling tired. Um, they get kind of worn out with just the normal day-to-day, -day, you know, 
academic things that they're asked to do. Um, they might have, you know, increased heart rate, heart rate or breathing. Um, they might feel um, those kind of psychosomatic complaints of upset tummies, achy muscles, things like that, that aren't really connected to something that actually physically happened, but it might show up. I often would tell my students, I feel like our bodies sometimes know our emotions before our brains can connect with what we feel. And so it's really important for us to be in tune with how our body is feeling and often how it's communicating with us. Mm. Whitney, thanks for going through that. I think that when I listen to those symptoms, when I listen to those responses to stress and trauma, I think, well, these things are so hard in the classroom. You know, when, and, and as an educator, they become really wearing and taxing on, on teachers because over time, you know, you get frustrated with students who are edgy or ag agitated all the time. You get, it's really hard to have anxious students in your classroom. And so I think part of this conversation is to um, encourage individuals who are listening to picture those students who are walking through with some of these symptoms. Um, think about them in your mind and um, just imagine what might change if you postured yourself into a place of understanding, into being curious about what might be behind that behavior and stay open to, you know, guidance by the Holy Spirit of how to react and respond um, and, and co-regulate with these students because it's just such a, I see these symptoms and I, my heart just goes out, not only to the student who is experiencing this, but to the educators who are navigating that. And, and we are seeing unprecedented levels of this right now. We, we know that the Surgeon General has reported our mental health um, crisis is at an all-time high. Um, you know, we know that students are are walking into your classroom, one of one out of four students uh, walking into schools has been exposed to some sort of traumatic event. Um, 35 million students in 2013 were reported to have one type of trauma. And so when we think about that, these are these are real, these are data numbers that are trans transferring into real human beings walking in. And if we want to greet these individuals with you know, care that recognizes their human dignity and worth as children of God, we, we have to get into a posture of, of meeting them with our hearts and spirits and minds. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for that. Um, why don't we look at this, you know, as an educator, we don't often talk about the brain and really what this manifests as we know, you know, we all go through our very, very, very general psych courses at the very bottom level, but we don't often see a higher level conversation around the basics of the brain. So what mm -hmm. are different parts of our brain and what behaviors might we see um, when students are operating in these different parts of the brain that have been affected by these? And really, um, what are things that we as educators can do to best support our students as well? And I know that's a big three-part question there. But... Right. Well, we're, I mean, to, we're not going to talk deep neurology. Let's be right. real. Uh, Surgeons <laughs> are some of the most amazing people in the world because they're trained forever. So um, do not worry if you're listening. We're, you know, we're, we're going to go pretty basic here, but um, what's great about 
just even looking at it from a basic view, we can be equipped, right? Because what is the goal here? The goal is to be equipped to um, be transformed as educators so that we can meet the needs of our students and ourselves in our classrooms in a new and different way tomorrow, right? And so when we think about it, we really look from, um, think about three parts of the brain. Let's just go one, two, three, right? And um, we have, we're going to walk you through kind of from the lower brainstem or the hindbrain to the middle part of your brain, which is your limbic system, all the way up to the frontal cortex, which is if you kind of touch your forehead right now, that's where your prefrontal cortex is. And so if you can imagine three parts of your brain and we're going to um, talk about it and help you understand if the student is showing up with these behaviors or this reaction, it's likely this part of the brain. And if so, what can you do? I mean, that's kind of what we're going to do. And I'm going to hand it to Whitney to kind of start at the, the, um, lower brain stem, really where we call it the survival brain. Yeah. yeah. So this survival part of our brain, we can think about this is responsible for the most basic functions that we aren't even really thinking about that we're doing. So this is the part of our brain that's responsible for breathing. Um, You know, we think about, you know, we breathe when we sleep and we're not really thinking about doing that. It's happening, right? And that part of our brain is doing that for us. It's keeping our heart beating. It's also the part of our brain that responds automatically when we're in a time of danger. Um, And so we might feel really strong emotions when we're operating in this part of our brain. And what's going to happen is it might shut down that smart brain that we'll talk about in a moment um, where we're not able to think clearly or able to really process what's going on in a healthy, productive way. So sometimes, you know, we think about way back when, you know, if you were to encounter, you know, a some kind of an animal in the forest, (laughs) right? Like this part of our brain was, is designed to keep us safe. But what I notice is, you know, when a student gets a math test placed on their, on their desk, this part of their brain might be activated and it's our, we're not able to necessarily distinguish that this is not really a dangerous situation, even though it might feel really scary. Um, But that part of our brain is activated. And so some things you might see, you might see that your students are loud, those angry outbursts. They might be um, harmful to themselves or to others or property, maybe breaking things. Um, You might see crying, that shutting down, unable to communicate well what's going on. Um, You also might notice that this student um, is unable to listen to solutions or really able to, you know, think through um, how to fix the situation. And so for educators, what we can do, the first priority is really to soothe that child. So rather than jump into problem solving and and which we, you know, we want to fix it because it's not, it doesn't feel good to us to see our students in that tough space, right? But all we can do is let them kind of borrow our calm Julie mentioned co-regulation. So if we show up calm and we are reminding them with gentle messaging that, you know, I'm here with you, you're safe, you know, I've got you um, in that calm voice and calm body language, what's going to happen is it's going to help them to kind of hopefully borrow some of that. 
Um, I think it's helpful too for us to, you know, mirror where our student is. So if our student's sitting on the floor, if we can, let's join them. Um, we can kind of um, get on their level um, and we don't have to force them to talk until they're ready. But I think just being there and showing them that we're not going away, um, you know, we're not creating that again, like a fear of, you know, abandoning the situation. We're staying with them in it. Um, it's going to let them know that when they're ready, we're there to listen. Um, and so I think just keeping that safe, calm environment for them will be a really comforting space if they're operating in this in this part of their brain. Whitney, one thing that as we move from the survival brain to the emotional brain, because our goal as educators is to get students to the smart brain where they can think and problem solve with you, where they can listen. Um, but if students have been experiencing trauma, stress, grief a lot, the way in which they respond may be more actively in that survival brain because they have been in survival situations more often. And so those students have a higher likelihood that they're going to, in any situation, whether it's a math test or actually a, you know, someone who takes the red ball on the blacktop from them, that is going to send them straight to survival brain instead of emotional brain or smart brain. And what we get to do as educators, because if we can help them learn how to access those, um, smarter areas of the brain, some areas where there's logic and reasoning, you are giving them a tool to help them actually rewire, you know, neuroplasticity in their brain. And this it's very, very, very important that you give them experiences where they're activating that smart brain. And so if they, if they are moving into the limbic system, which is what we're going to call the emotional brain, then you're going to see different behaviors show up in those students. And so Whitney, if they're in the limbic system or emotional brain, what are educators going to see? Yeah, you might see elevated emotions. So these students might share their story with big emotions, maybe very kind of me-centered story because they're thinking about how this experience has affected them. It might be hard for them to express empathy and understanding necessarily when they're in this because they're thinking about what happened to them. Um, these students might... Um, not be able to take ownership over a situation that's happened. And so that might be kind of a challenging thing. Um, they might be crying or yelling. Um, and yeah, it just it's kind of a tough, it might be like a big, a big emotional moment is what you're going to see when students are operating here. Mm -hmm. And so what do educators do in that space? Because it's different than the soothing, but they can yeah. still borrow the calm, right? So approaching with calm, regulated, calm teacher voice, right? Yeah. What are other things that educators can do in a place of emotional brain? Yeah, so I think this is a great space for us to help our students to find those emotional words as they can. So giving them tools if they need help, you know, with whether that's, you know, emotion charts to help them be able to access those. I think we can also, it's a great space to provide sensory objects. So stress balls, slime or Play-Doh, bubbles, any of those kinds of things um, for students to expel some energy. That can be really helpful. Um, it's also helpful to almost like repeat back what you're hearing to the student. It shows them that you hear what they're saying. We're not disagreeing. We're not correcting what they're saying. We can just say, you know, it sounds like this happened or that must be really hard and just kind of mirroring that back to them. Um, I found um, often as a counselor, 
one of the things that we can do um, when our students are in this emotional brain and unable to really process with logic and reasoning just yet, or even in that survival brain for both of them, because you might see some similar things show up. Um, if, if we couldn't get to smart brain reasoning um, after trying, you know, different coping skills or having, you know, talk, you know, talk therapy kind of about what's going on, um, removing ourselves from that environment. Uh, my school in Nashville was on the middle of 83 beautiful acres in the middle of the city, uh -huh. which is like unheard of. And so I used that to my, to my, as a resource where I would take my students and we would go on walks and we would walk, walk, walk. And there, that ability to um, move our bodies and really, re you know, reduce that stress hormone that we're experiencing when we're operating in these parts of our brain was such a powerful tool that often after, you know, 10, 15 minutes of walking together, um, they were able to then have, you know, a, a logical conversation and really help, you know, work through that conversation together. And so then the goal is really to move the students to the prefrontal cortex or the smart brain, the boss brain, as we call it. And um, let's be real, this is the area of the brain that is still developing specifically in, in our youth, in our boys until age 25. And so this is an area of critical reasoning, of logic, of, of um, planning, of, of understanding. And yet in order to get there, students have to not be in the survival brain, not be an emotional brain. They have to not be flipped out because there's this whole theory on amygdala flipping, which you might have heard of. And so we we can do the soothe, we can help them express their emotions. And then the goal is to get them to a place of operating in the smart brain. Because if you're giving expectations or consequences prior to being in that smart brain area, it's unlikely that the students will hear you. So these are the students who are going home and they mom said, what did you do? And they said, I don't even know. And the reality <laughs> is they don't know because they didn't hear you. Um, yeah. And so Whitney, what are what is evidence that students are in the smart brain, the prefrontal cortex? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you'll be able to see them use words to express what's what happened and what's going on, and they're going to be able to be really logical about what's going on. Um, these students are not going to be actively in that fight, flight, freeze, you know, mentality, um, and they're going to begin to start to think of choices that they have, um, begin to see other people's perspectives. Um, you'll notice these students can can listen much more clearly, and they're able to then, you know, be able to express that empathy that we talked about earlier. And that's when educators can come alongside and say, let's talk about problem solving or what might you do to make yourself feel better or what are the consequences of what you just did, <laughs> right? And so until we're in that in that smart brain area, we really cannot um, hope for students to be actively participating in those types of conversations. Well, thank you guys so much. I love I love that conversation. It's so great to be walked through each of those different phases and think back to my my teaching experience when I dealt with, you know, helped students through these and understanding getting to that smart brain and why maybe sometimes it didn't work when we were having these conversations um, early on. <laughs> so thank you for that. Are there any other practical coping skills that we can teach our students and, um, you know, as they go through these different phases or did Whitney, did you cover um, those kind of in that initial 
scope. I think we definitely covered some, but two two come to mind, which I know I briefly referenced, you know, sharing like emotion charts. I think giving students that um, emotional vocabulary in a visual form is really helpful when they're trying to process big emotions. And so um, I know I often had um, resources in my office where students could uh, pull from and, and identify. And I know we've got tools here at Frenzy for those daily check-in tools. And so um, oftentimes just helping them find the words when we can't get those. And I know even as adults, we know what that's like sometimes when we're experiencing big emotions, it's hard to think through. So, you know, that's a helpful tool. And then I think breathing exercises are such a powerful coping skill. Um, I always told students that, you know, our breath is kind of like our superpower. It's with us everywhere we go. And so let's use it. And so, um, I mean, there's so many different, you know, ways you can do it. I would teach students, you know, figure eight breathing that they could do on their, you know, on their leg underneath their desk when they were nervous as that math test came around the classroom or, you know, square breathing or star breathing. There's all kinds, you know, just Google breathing exercises. And the best suggestion that I could make is how have students learn these skills in times where their emotions are regulated. And so maybe guide your whole class through like a quick little breathing exercise and explain, you know, that this is a great tool you can use in times when you're feeling big emotions. Um, and to have students to kind of think about how are you feeling before you do it? And then let's notice if there's any differences after. And then for students to really be encouraged to practice it on a regular basis, because we're going to be more likely able to access that coping skill if we practice it, kind of like build that muscle um, at times of emotion uh, regulation. And so um, to me, I think having emotion recognition charts, breathing exercises are two of my favorite coping strategies and moving our bodies, going on walks, like I said, it's a really powerful tool. And Whitney, I love that you just brought up those two activities. And I would just encourage anyone who doesn't have a favorite breathing activity to uh, hop on frenzy.co because we have two free downloadable resources that you can feel free to use because they're free. And one is called Breathe In and Breathe Out. And that really just teaches students to do a quick body scan of their body. Where are they feeling the stress and tension? Um, again, teaching them to do some square breathing with a little square and then using some finger tracing as well to breathe. Uh, we also have an emotional check-in on the free downloadable at frenzy.co that you can certainly use. This will actually lead you through the process of teaching emotions. And again, the goal is to increase students' emotional literacy. So do I feel happy, sad, mad, glad, angry, anxious, stressed, <laughs> sick? You know, what do I actually feel? Because until I can recognize how I feel, I really can't manage it. And so we're really teaching students to recognize, name, and then tame that emotion. And what I love is that th these are transferable skills that if you're an English teacher out there and you're thinking, okay, well, I don't deal with emotions. Well, you do, because imagine if you armed your students with this massive emotional vocabulary, how they would be better able to describe literature and what the characters mm -hmm. are feeling and what your, what your books are in, in engaging in. And so really these are these are skills that students use not only in their own emotional life, but in their writing, in their ability to empathize. And so it really are is a transferable skill to all subjects. Mm -hmm. 
That's wonderful. Thank you. And, and just for our listeners, in case you don't know, um, Frenzy does also offer discounts for NCEA members. Um, I believe it's 10%, Julie, if I'm yes. wrong there. Yeah, we, we work um, with NCA very closely. We love to partner as a nonprofit. We provide the best possible pricing we can to our schools. And part of that is as an NCA member, you automatically get 10% off our holistic wraparound program for schools. And again, it's pre-K now all the way up to eighth grade. And so if you're looking for for a more holistic approach, then we have um, certainly reach out to Whitney and we can chat further. But we also have a lot of free resources on our website that you can use um, that are great for students, parents, and educators. Perfect. Thank you. And if they did want to reach out to Whitney, Whitney, how can they get a hold of you? <laughs> yeah. So my email is Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y at Frenzy, F-R-I-E-N-D-Z-Y dot co, C-O. Feel free to send me an email and I'd love to chat more and figure out how we can best support you and your students. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. Is there anything else that we maybe didn't cover or anything on the topic you wanted to discuss um, as a final point? I, I just am thankful for this conversation, Jessica. And I just, you know, I know sometimes when we talk about grief and trauma and stress, it can feel kind of heavy. Um, and so just to kind of circle back to where at the beginning, we really want to celebrate the amazing work that our Catholic teachers are doing and just that you are making a difference. And it really just takes one caring adult to really help change the trajectory of, this, of students. And so uh, we want to celebrate you and the amazing work that you're doing. So, yeah. Perfect. Thank you yeah. so much. And I... Sorry, Julie, go ahead. No, I was just saying thank you so much for the opportunity to talk today. And we just, um, you know, we want to be on the sidelines cheering you on or put, you know, um, you know, we can we can be part of your team. We, we just want to offer as much support as we can to teachers. Thank you. And thank you both for being on the podcast today. And I know our membership will greatly appreciate um, that line of support that you're offering. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks for being here and thanks for listening to all of our members that joined us today.